as you, if you're here last week, you know, and, and Rich reminded me when I saw him in the bathroom later that I pretty much, I, I, I can't use any more sports analogies. I used all those up last week. So since Valentine's Day is tomorrow, the message today is going to center upon what Paul writes concerning the relationship between a husband and a wife and our responsibilities within that relationship and, and how that strong in relationship impacts kids in the home, children in the home. And finally, we're going to extend those principles out to our daily life in the workplace. But first, as I just mentioned, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. And guys, if you haven't planned anything yet for your, for your wife to show her your love, you still have a few hours left. The legend of St. Valentine is that the Roman emperor at the time, Claudius II, believed men made better soldiers if they didn't have that marriage attachment, right? So he outlawed marriage for younger men. Well, St. Valentine performed marriages anyway, right, in secret. And when discovered, he was beheaded outside the city walls by Claudius II sometime around 270 A.D. So, guys, remember to go buy your wife some roses, take her out to dinner, and together you can talk about love as you celebrate Happy Beheaded Saints Day. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but that's tomorrow. And today we're going to talk about love and the family unit in context of Colossians chapter 3. And as a Christian observing the family over the past 20, 30, 40 years, it's no surprise, we've seen the steady decline as to the standard offered to us in scripture. Divorce is rampant and has been for a while. Homosexual marriage is not even a controversial political issue anymore. It's right, it's just accepted as part of the norm of society, it seems like. Kids sometimes rule in the home. Women are buying into the lie that they don't need a man, or at least biblical submission to a man is ridiculous. Men in general simply are not leading in the home. So when it came to Colossians chapter 3.18, I thought I'd make a good sermon around Valentine's Day. And the, the Apostle Paul starts a teaching that affects all of us in this room, and it's centered around those exact things. It's the truths of Scripture, you know, written over 2,000 years ago, are, are so relevant. They're so spot on, even to our lives in our culture today. Issues of marriage, issues of work relationships, issues of parenting. Some of those most common everyday life challenges we face are going to be addressed in these passages and, 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 and applied in these passages. My research this week led me to uncover that Martin Luther called this passage we're going to look at in Colossians the household code. It carries with it this idea that our faith and pursuit of spiritual things must transform the everyday elements of our life. This is a good code to live by that even the everyday elements, the boring ones, the mundane ones, we have to look at everything as spiritual. Our relationship with God is desi and desire to conform to the, the likeness of Jesus changes who we are, and it changes then how we treat others, how we run our family, how we treat our spouse. It changes sometimes the career we choose, right? It's so important. So this, what we look at today, is going to be a good household code for living. And there are, there are four roles we're going to touch on that Paul lays out here. And we're going, to, we're going to group the first two together and just talk about husbands and wives. And then we're going to move on to our children. So hang tight, children. We're going to get to you. And, and, and then finally, we're going to conclude with application that Paul addresses to the workplace. And he addresses the practice of slavery at this time. You know, the early receivers, when they got this letter in Colossae and they read it, 
they had to say, oh, okay, how am I going to apply this to my life? I mean, they just, they had the reading, okay, what's he saying? And I think that's our challenge today, right? Let's, let's look at this and say, okay, how am I going to apply it to my life today and apply it to ours? Because what happens in the home, what happens in the workplace, what happens everywhere in our life, it validates the work that Christ is doing in our heart, right? So Paul begins here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, and he says this. He says, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not become bitter against them. Now, as a quick reminder, Paul has been writing in this letter about being conformed to the image of Christ. How the Holy Spirit changes us. How it changes who we are and how we act. And it, it's in this context of being changed where he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, the word used for subject or submit here was actually a military word, and it implied rank, right? So it implied levels of authority within the army. And it provided structure to a unit, because if you don't have structure to a unit, what do you have? You know, chaos, right? You have, you have a mutiny. So in Ephesians chapter five, that excuse me, Ephesians chapter five, that's a, a sister passage in Ephesians to this. Paul is given a little better context about this relationship. And what we're going to talk about today, he mentions that this relationship between a husband and a wife, it's built on mutual love and mutual submission to each other in many areas because it reflects Christ's relationship to the church and our relationship with Christ. He explains that this relationship between a man and a wife, reflects, actually reflects the gospel, where Christ gave up everything. He gave up everything to save us. He gave up everything for the church. So this brief little passage in Colossians, we've got to keep Ephesians 5 in mind. In, in Colossians, we're kind of getting a summary of that idea. And Paul's reminding us that your marriage, as you celebrate that tomorrow, is to be a reflection of Christ and his relationship with the church. So this submission concept comes out of that, out of our reverence for him. And here in Colossians, he simply says, wives submit. So most people, when they hear that, they kind of get a little tense, right, when they read that. Or I imagine at least most women in particular probably get a little tense, like what comes next? Wives submit to your husbands. How are we going to apply this to our lives? Well, earlier in Colossians, Paul was talking about our earthly nature versus our spiritual nature. And how, how following Christ calls us to kill that earthly nature. And part of this earthly nature that we all have is we want to be what? The authority ourselves. That was manifested in Adam and Eve many years ago when they ate the fruit. You know, do, do you want to be God? Do you want to be like God? Do you want to be in control? Then eat the fruit. You want to have it your way, then eat the fruit. All right? That was an appeal to the earthly nature that, that we all seem to have, quite honestly, and that we need to suppress. It calls us to resist authority. When we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see Adam and Eve created in the image of God, and God said, it's not good for Adam to be alone, right? So he created Eve, and Eve complimented Adam. Eve completed Adam, and together they became one. Okay, so, so the biblical math is that a man plus a woman, that a husband and wife coming together for a lifetime makes one. One plus one equals one. 
And this idea that they're different and complementary and come together to make a whole unit is important in this context. Because note, they are created differently. The world has a lot of opinions on this matter, but it's simply a reality of truth. And I think it's simply a reality of common sense. According to scripture, men and women are created differently. That's by God's design. Not that one is better than the other, but they complement one another. And together, they can be whole. If both are submitted to God, and if both are seeking what's best for their spouse. If a husband and wife are both submitted to God and to each other, as many of you know, in this room, marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. But if either one struggles to submit to God and they struggle to submit to the role God has placed them within that relationship, then it becomes a little more difficult of a relationship to maintain. So as we look at the woman's role, he says, wives, submit. So regarding submission, God, through the Holy Scriptures that we're looking at, through his word, through the Bible, I don't think is trying to define out every cultural irrelevant thing of 2022. Like, things like, who's going to submit and give me control of that remote control? You know, or who's going to determine in your house who takes out the trash and who mows the yard? Or submission in this context is not, who's going to decide which way the toilet paper comes off that roll? You know, front or back. I, I, I really don't care, so Tina can decide that. But, but all these earthly things, right? These, these things of earth... I think are a distraction to what this passage of wives submit to your husbands is all about. I don't think it's about who controls everyday elements of life, right, in the family. I think it's, it's, directing, it's talking to who's going to direct the course of this marriage and family spiritually. I mean, I think that's the ultimate application of this, right? Who is responsible to God for the family and where that family goes spiritually, Who's the spiritual leader? And leadership, when you talk about spiritual leadership in the family or even outside the family, I think it's not about control. I think that's, again, an earthly, top-down, distorted view of leadership. Oh, I'm in control. I don't think that's the issue here at all. I mean, when we're submitting ourselves to God and we understand leadership, biblical leadership, what do we know about biblical leadership? It's all about servanthood. It's all about servant leadership. It's about self-sacrifice, and it's about responsibility. Who stands responsible before God? Paul is outlining here that that is the man of the house. That's the pattern God has set for the family. It's the husband who is responsible before God for the spiritual direction of the family. He is to be the spiritual leader. And and Christian men across the country get upset within the marriage context over these non-spiritual issues we mentioned before, the remote division of labor, whatever. And they're not even leading the family in these important spiritual directives, right? They're not setting the pace for involvement in the church. They're not setting the pace to make sure the family's a praying family. They're not setting the pace to get into scriptures with their wives and with their family. You know, again, I think that's what real leadership, spiritual leadership here is all about. And I'm pretty certain that any wife here today would gladly submit to a husband who's stepping forward and leading the family spiritually in this way. 
So husbands, this is what verse 19 is calling us to do when, when we read this. Paul simply writes, husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. In Ephesians, again, Ephesians chapter 5 is that sister passage, if you want to look at that later. Paul writes here, as Christ loved the church, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So what kind of love is that, men, he's calling us to do? That's, called, that's the agape love. That's that unconditional, sacrificial, self-sacrificing love that is not self-seeking. It's the kind of love that says, if this is the need of my wife, I'll lay down my life for her. If that's, if that's her need, I'm going to lay down my life for her. And, and husbands, I bet all of us, to some degree, we've, we've envisioned this scenario in our brain. That my family's in trouble, my wife's in trouble, I'm going to go in there, and I will lit, I'll give my life, if need be, for my wife or for my family. But here's where it gets tough. Here's where it gets tough. Are you willing to submit to her and love her every day, all day, like Christ did for the church? Christ gave up everything for the church. He's, he submitted to the will of the Father and gave up everything. And Paul is calling us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So if the backdrop is first and foremost a Christian man, one who is loving his wife like Christ loved the church, one which a wife would have no problem, none whatsoever, submitting to a man like that, right? what does Paul say to us men to help us become such a man? Well, we are going to go to Ephesians real quick and, and look at this right now in Ephesians, from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 20. Paul writes this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's step one, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, in which there's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father. And subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. To kind of summarize a little bit of that, Paul is talking here about the necessity of being spirit-filled. That everything in a family life begins with being spirit-filled. He begins by saying, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now, to be a spiritual leader in the home, men, we must first be a spiritually-minded man. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Greek word that's used in this case for filled is, it means to be controlled, to be dominated by, to be influenced by. It's not filled like this. It's not filled like if I had an empty glass and I'm pouring water and I'm filling up, right? That's not what it's really getting at here. It's really more getting at, I think anyway, like a glove, and the hand goes in the glove and controls the glove. Okay? The issue, because the issue is not that we need to have more of the Holy Spirit. It lives inside of us right now. The issue is the Holy Spirit needs to have more of us. Right? That's the issue. It's not as though men, women, men, it's not as though we've lived up to the genius and perfection of the Holy Spirit and we've maxed out the level and we need more. I think we have plenty. I, I think we just need to submit to the Holy Spirit that resides in each one of us this morning. Which is why there's this intentional contrast in that reading in verse 18. And I, I want to make sure you caught that because it's, it's kind of interesting between the first and the second part of the verse. He began with a negative. He said, don't get drunk with too much wine. 
But then he gives a positive and says, but be filled with the Spirit. So why is, why is he using that? And the reason is, is that being drunk with wine is much like being filled with the Spirit. In both instances, the one who's either drunk or the one who's either filled with the Spirit, he's under an influence of some kind. He's under the influence of an external power that's now inside him internal. In both cases, the person starts to talk in a, in a way he normally doesn't talk. He begins to act in a way he normally doesn't act. We've all seen this, guys, out in the public. We've seen this non-normal behavior when somebody out there has too much alcohol to drink, right? It seems like they want to fight the whole world. They get loud. You know, they get, suddenly he's bold. Suddenly they think they, they're stronger than they normally are. You know, he's loud and obnoxious. He's acting in a totally different way under the influence. And so it is with us, guys, with men and women in this room, that when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit dominates, it fills us, it dominates us, it controls us. We must be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he made that comparison. And when he says to be filled, this isn't like a little optional thing, hey, if you want to. If you want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, do it. It's a command here, right? Either, either we are or we aren't. And it's in the present tense. Every moment of every day, Paul is talking that as we live our Christian lives, we're either walking according to the flesh or we're walking according to the Spirit. Paul outlines that in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So this is the responsibility, guys. This is our responsibility that's laid at our feet this morning. In the context of men, in this context we're talking about being a spiritual leader in the home, we must be spirit-filled and spirit-controlled. And, and Paul gives us some evidences of what this looks like, okay? So here's what this looks like, and it's, they were mentioned real quick in 19 and 20. Let's again summarize them. They're about worship. Men lifting up other men, men lifting up praises to God. A spirit-filled father, a spirit-filled husband will be a worshiping man. He will be God-focused. He'll be God-exalting. His vocabulary that comes out of his mouth will reflect scripture. A spirit-filled man will be continually giving thanks before God. A spirit-filled man is not a grumbling man. A spirit-filled man is not complaining and whining. A spirit-filled man is not an angry old man, right? He's giving thanks to God continually because the Holy Spirit has work, is at work in his life. You know, read the book of Philippians. Read of a man who's chained in prison. Read of a man who's contained for two years in house arrest. And listen to a man say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's a man filled with the Spirit. Read about him in Acts 16. When he's in prison and it's midnight. And he's just been beaten and whipped. And what is he doing? He's singing praises to God when the earthquake arrives. That was the Apostle Paul. He was a man filled under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Our marriages, our families benefit greatly when men, as leaders in the home, were filled with the Holy Spirit and it conforms us into the image of Christ. So to wrap this section up, in the culture of Colossae, when they got this letter, wife submission was normal. Right? However, she was often forced to submit to her husband with few legal rights as a citizen in that culture. Submission through selfless, sacrificial love. Now, that was a new thought. And men, 
Leading is not about authority that rules with an iron fist. It's about your responsibility to see it, that you're the spiritual leader in the home and being led by the Holy Spirit inside you. So let's move on to the children because I know you're waiting on bated breath is, boy, what's Paul going to say about my role in the family? So he says this with children, regarding children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so they will not become discouraged. And regarding the children, this, I think, is addressing those who are at home still, you know, not adult children who've moved away. And, and biblically, we know that we never stop honoring our parents, even when we move away. That doesn't change. But I think this is addressing those living in the home. So you can simply summarize this, kids and parents, I guess, here in attendance today, with a simple statement. Kids aren't calling the shots in the house. Kids are not in charge. And it sounds weird that we even have to say it, but we see it all the time, don't we? That moms and dads across the country are spending all this energy and money in some cases focused on, on trying to make sure their kids aren't upset about something or that their kids have every opportunity to succeed. But kids are not to call the shots. And, and don't take this wrong uh, because you know that I love my kids and I love my grandkids as deeply as, as much as I know you love yours. But understand, in this context, I think Paul is saying that kids are not the priority of the house. In the family, they're just not the first priority relationship. Okay? They shouldn't sit literally or symbolically in between mom and dad. And children in our society have a lot of rights, and that's needed in some cases for protection. But they also have a responsibility, and the responsibility was laid out in Scripture there. And the responsibility is to obey. Because a child who grows up not obeying the parent will likely grow up not to obey any type of authority after that. The idea is about being, the idea I think that Paul is communicating here, right, is that we have to be submissive, that we have to submit to authority. That's what God's trying to teach because we all ultimately have to submit ourselves to him. And when parents, know, they, they, when parents do not allow their kids to take control of the relationship or they do not allow them to take precedence over their spouse, then they're actually teaching their child a very, very, very important lesson. And they're teaching that child that there's authorities in the world, ultimately, ultimately God, that you have to submit to. And, and for children to obey and learn this, it's much better that they learn this lesson early in life than to learn it later in life. Because as you know, we're all going to fall, as I mentioned. We're going to fall in submission to God. And Paul is stressing to teach this reality to our kids. Therefore, kids here today, you're sitting next to your parent. Here's the command of Scripture for you today. Obey. Just leave knowing that I'm going to obey my parent. And to the parents, he's saying this. He's saying relax a little bit, I think. Step back off the throttle. You know, ease up the pressure a little bit. Let the kids be kids. You know, obviously, there's structure in a family. He just commanded kids to obey. So we know they're obeying some rules and leadership established in the family. But to the parents, I think he's saying a little bit, he's saying, relax here. Don't try to accomplish all your dreams through your child. A parent's worth is not determined by a child's success. How the child ends up in a, places in a contest or, or how they do in school, that's not the parent's measurement of success. As you know, throughout this whole letter to the Colossians, Paul is driving home this fact that our identity is in Christ. That is our identity. We're found secure in him. 
Our kids are not the source of our measurement or success. So I think he's saying here, just relax. Relax a little bit. Because if you go back and reread that verse, what he says, if you don't, they might become bitter at you. And they might become bitter at God if you keep the pressure up. So finally, he talks about this third group of relationships, and that's centered around work. So as we move on, Paul finishes this section off by addressing slavery. Now, he doesn't call for an abolition of slavery or to abolish slavery, like some in our culture thought he should have, but that really could have never happened. And here's why. Because in that day, over one-third to approximately one-half of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. It's a lot of people. And some, a lot, were willing. They willingly indentured themselves to their master in a contract to work for a specified number of years. Often it was more of an employer-employee type of relationship, not like our American slavery. And in this case, slaves were often given the same rights and privileges as a free man. So to abolish slavery would have completely destroyed that whole cultural framework. What God does instead is this. As a code of behavior that we're talking about, he establishes a pattern that, for this relationship that if ultimately followed, this institution of slavery would, would be radically changed. So he says this to slaves. He says, slaves, obey those who are your human masters in everything. Not with eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For the one who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul was the author of a New Testament letter called Philemon. And Philemon was about a slave named Onesimus who had run away from his master, Philemon. And Paul penned this letter, gave it to Onesimus, and said, now you go back and work for Philemon. And Philemon, he said, you treat Onesimus like a brother. So if you follow that directive, this institution of slavery as we envision it would dissolve. The application of today is this. Most of us are employees in one way or the other, but often we wish we didn't have to, right? Our culture has grown to view work as bad, as though it's something to be avoided, as it's something to just get through. Right? We can't wait for the weekend, right? Our, our, our goal is early retirement, so we don't have to do this thing called work anymore. Take this job and shove it. If I can get a check and I don't have to go to work, then why would I go to work, right? And the idea that work is a bad thing is, again, part of, I think, of our fallen earthly nature. If you look back to Genesis and the story of creation, work was not a bad thing at all. It was a good thing. And Paul reminds them and us of this in this passage, that you don't work for a master, you don't work for an employer, you don't work for a board of directors or a company, you work for, ultimately for the Lord. And how you conduct yourself with, in that workplace reflects your reverence for Christ. And he's teaching that work is actually a blessing, I think. Part of improving our lives uh, for those we love and of being a faithful steward of the resources that he's blessed us with. 
And he reminds us that both the boss and the employee are under one authority, and ultimately that authority is the Lord. And it's this fall again that gives us this unhealthy view of work. It's, it's because of sin that people will go the other way too, right? They become workaholics. They get their identity from their success at work. So things are out of balance, as is pretty obvious in our fallen world. Things are out of balance. Too much emphasis on work, not enough emphasis, doing everything possible to get out of work. But in balance, what Paul is saying here is that, you know, if you're cheating your employer or if you're cheating or mistreating your employee, well, then you're just not representing Jesus very well to those around you in your community. Because ultimately, this code of behavior, every type of behavior we talked about today is about discipleship. And again, it's understanding that what we do in our everyday elements of life reflects Christ to others. And it reflects what Christ is currently doing inside, in our heart, as I mentioned earlier. Earlier in Colossians, Paul said we should do everything for the glory of the Lord. So, so let's conclude this passage on the family by reviewing our quick points, okay? So back to point one, leading into Valentine's Day tomorrow. How you're doing as a husband, how you're doing as a wife, reflects how you're doing with Jesus. Okay, men, be the spiritual leader in your home. Be filled, be controlled by that Holy Spirit that resides in you. Lead your family. Right? Remember, the, the leadership that Jesus displayed is different than earthly leadership. He came to serve, and we should too. Women, submit to your husbands as they fulfill their God-given role in that relationship. Point two, how you're doing as a parent or how you're doing as a child reflects how you're doing with Jesus. Children must learn to obey their parents because obeying is key in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Dads were warned not to push their children too hard or their children might become discouraged. And finally, how you're doing as a worker or an employer reflects how you're doing with Jesus. Timely reminders from Paul that work is not evil. It's something to try not to avoid, but all of our work is to be done as though we're working for the Lord. So, it's God who's the center of everything. It's God whom we serve. We serve him, love him, worship him, because he is holy, holy, holy. He is holy in perfection. And holy simply means he's, it means separate. It carries with this idea that he's separate. He's separate from us. He's holy. He's nothing like us. He is, but he's not. He's spirit. Can't even fathom his fullness. And we're here on earth walking around thinking the whole world revolves around us. It's to God and his glory that we, we offer him praise. It's why we gather. It's why we serve him all week long. There's none like him. He's holy, holy, holy. That's the song we're going to sing. He's, he's worthy of our praises. He's worthy of our lives that we submit to him. And part of that submission to him is implementing these things Paul said into our family and into our relationships with our spouse. So let's all walk away from the service today with that thought, thought foremost in our minds. And let's conclude the beginning of the conclusion of our service by singing to God, you are indeed, Lord, holy, holy, holy. Let's stand and sing that together.